The Motivational Moments podcast is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Prime Information Security, online at www.primeinfosec.com, and with the support of our many subscribers. Thank you. Hello everyone, it's Linda Ockwell Jenner here with another Motivational Moments podcast and today we have um, a regular returning guest, uh, Melissa Day, uh, who is a, a breast cancer advocate and in the past two podcasts she's been telling her very inspirational story. So we welcome her back today to carry on with that story. Hello Melissa. Hello, how are you? I'm doing really, really well. Thank you for coming back Um your story is very inspirational, but um, as your mom, as your mother, um, it's it's quite um, a hard um, story for me to to share with people. I'm very grateful you're sharing your story so you can raise awareness. So um, we left off in the last podcast at um, the point where you were taking, I believe, medication to put your hormones to sleep. But you take over the story, Melissa. Yeah. So um, I think in the last podcast where we left off was I had just started uh, in December of 2021, uh, tamoxifen uh, and Zolodex, which are both to, um, you know, essentially remove the hormones uh, from my body that the cancer likes. Um, and then also Zomita, which is a bone strengthening um treatment, uh, an IV that I get every three months. Um, and the goal of this was to be on it for two years. And then at that point, you know, we could uh, reassess and decide if we wanted children or, um, or not and uh, see how everything was at that point. So um, my first follow-up um, with my uh, oncologist at the Oakville Cancer Center, who's amazing, was, um, you know, to review the initial side effects uh, of that medication. And so we went through things and I didn't, I didn't really have anything, you know, too crazy to, to bring up, but I did mention that I had a bit of an ache in my right leg, um, kind of in my thigh. Um, and, uh, you know, he looked over at Paul and I, and he said, well, do you want to do a bone scan? And I looked at Paul and I said, sure. Um, and so, you know, we, we kind of left there. I, I then went and did the bone scan and, uh, we went in back on, uh, Friday, May the 13th of 2022. Um, and that's where to everyone's shock, um, I think including, uh, the oncologist, uh, we received the results that my breast cancer, um, had actually metastasized to my liver and my bones. Um, and although there was, you know, nothing showing in, in my right leg, um, that was kind of the thing that, that sparked it all. So I feel like somebody was watching over me, maybe, you know, giving me a Charlie horse in the leg being like, like, go get this checked out. So, you know, that means by it being metastasized that it's now classed as uh, stage four breast cancer, um, which is, you know, also known as uh, metastatic breast cancer or secondary breast cancer. And um, at this time, there isn't a cure for it. So it is, you know, classed as a terminal disease. Uh, but I, over time, um, I've, I've kind of changed that terminology to be, you know, a chronic disease that I have to manage. Um, and I think the one key thing here is that, you know, it's not liver cancer and it's not bone cancer, but it's breast cancer in the liver and breast cancer in the bones. So that means the treatment for those is the same as um, the treatment would be for your breast cancer based on, you know, that original 
uh, whether it's estrogen and progesterone positive or negative, and whether it's HER2 negative or positive. Okay, can I just stop you there? Yeah. Um, not all of our listeners will have mm-hmm. listened to the first two podcasts. They might just jump on this one, but I do urge them to go back and listen to the first two. But as far as I'm aware, your breast cancer was detected early and it hadn't spread at that point. Would that be correct, your original breast cancer? Yeah, so uh, my original breast cancer, which was which was diagnosed in the October of 2021, so this was only seven months later, um, in that initial you know finding of the breast cancer, um, we were told by many different doctors that you know we caught it as early as possible. It was still in early stage, and the um, the part of my I had one sentinel lymph node that showed microscopic uh, cancer cells, uh, which is classed as a negative. So. So at at that time, you know, between October uh, of 2021 to when I got this first bone scan, I hadn't had any other bone scans or CT scans um, for for the breast cancer. This was the first one. Okay. So what I wanted to do there was to clarify, because up until the time you were diagnosed with the secondary breast cancer, which was from the primary breast cancer, the first breast cancer, if I got it right. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that stage four meant that you could actually catch your breast cancer early. And I was under the impression that once the cancer got to stage four, either the doctors had missed something or the person with the breast cancer, it could be, you know, a few men get breast cancer and obviously women. Um, I thought it meant that the woman hadn't gone to the doctor on time or had missed something. But that is a myth, isn't it? That's not true. Yeah. And then, you know, unfortunately, um, some women in the, you know, metastatic and secondary breast cancer community, um, you know, catch it early and it's still de novo. So de novo is when you're diagnosed with uh, your primary breast cancer and your secondary breast cancer at the exact same time. So, you know, yes, early detection does save lives. And, you know, I don't know the exact stat, but it's, it's pretty high, you know, there's, there's good results around it, but um, where the, um, where the missing pieces is around this metastatic and secondary breast cancer. And the fact that even if you catch your primary breast cancer early, you can either be diagnosed with secondary and metastatic breast cancer at that same time or anywhere up to 20 years later. Wow. And do, is it correct? Um, because I did read up on this and, and now I tend not to, because as I say, it's very emotional for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, would it be 20 or 30,000 women a year are diagnosed with it or who actually die from this? Oh, I'm not sure. I don't know those stats. Yeah. No, I think when we first um, met with the oncologist, uh, one of the things we decided was, you know, stats are stats, averages are averages. And really there's no point uh, for me looking at those uh, stats and averages because everybody is so different. And I know, you know, it is, it is a big number of, of, of women and men who are diagnosed you know, uh, each year and, and who pass away from it each year. But I don't know those uh, those exact stats, but it sounds realistic. Yeah. I'm more concerned with the fact that I didn't know that this could happen as a breast cancer survivor twice myself, early breast cancer. Um, I had no idea this could happen. And I'm just wondering why um, there's not more awareness out there about it and why the doctors, the oncologists, the health professionals 
don't give us an idea this could happen, but by you now being diagnosed, um, you are working towards the awareness and doing everything possible to get the facts out there, Melissa, not the myths. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a big part of it. And I think just the education piece around it. And I think, you know, um, I haven't had the opportunity to talk to a bunch of different doctors and and, uh, people to find out at what point, you know, they do bring up the possibility of metastatic breast cancer or secondary breast cancer. But I think, you know, um, overall, and and I'm not sure if I've said this in this podcast, I think we've done a really, really good job raising awareness for breast cancer and, you know, through the pink washing. And I, I don't say that in a negative way. I think it's, it's amazing that we've raised so much awareness about breast cancer, but now we really need to turn the dial, not mm-hmm. to just be about primary breast cancer, but also about secondary metastatic breast cancer and start raising awareness and, you know, directing a lot more funds towards that research because, you know, there's a cure for primary breast cancer and currently there's not a cure for secondary breast cancer. We don't know what causes it. And so if we can figure out, you know, what, what causes metastatic breast cancer and find a cure from it, we then bring our average up to like a hundred percent, right. Mm -hmm. Of, of, of cures because, um, you know, men and women don't die from primary breast cancer. They die from metastatic secondary breast cancer. Right. Right. And I think that's the other myth as well, is that Mm -hmm. people don't understand that somebody who passes away from breast cancer it's it's metastatic, right? Okay, okay. So I didn't even know that. So we've 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 made that clear to everybody. So um, if you can carry on with your story, that would be wonderful. Yeah. So um, obviously, at this point, it was a huge shock to all of us. So um, you know, had uh, some time away from work to really focus on you know, next steps. Um, and then the plan was that we would switch, uh, my tamoxifen to letrozole. So very similar. Um, I believe letrozole is normally given to, uh, postmenopausal women. And then also, um, we added in Kiskali, um, which is, um, a medication. I, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but, um, it's, it was newer. Um, I think it'd been, been around for about five years at, at this point that I was starting it. Um, and, um, once again is to help target the, um, the, the metastatic breast or the metastatic, uh, breast cancer and, um, I believe it, it stops it from, you know, the cancer cells from multiplying probably in the um, simplest terms uh, possible. So um, started that medication. Um, at this point, we also realized that, you know, um, this is, you'll be on medication forever. So you start, you know, your first line of treatment, which would be this type of thing. Um, you do that treatment until it stops working. And then you move on to the next one and you just kind of keep doing that. And so the goal is really with metastatic breast cancer to, um, uh, to shrink it to the point that it doesn't show up on scans, but it'll always be there. So there's currently no way to current, to get rid of it fully. So Melissa, um, that's interesting. Would you mind telling us, um, where your, um, primary breast cancer has, how it spread, where it spread to? Yes. So mine is in my liver and my bones. And uh, so when we were originally um, notified of the um, the diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer, um, we were informed it was in my liver and my spine. So there's two spots in my spine. Um, and then more recently, you know, there's been a bit of uptake in my rib. And so I said to the oncologist, oh, is it always in my rib or is this nor- like, is this new? And uh, he said, oh, it's always been there. So what I'm learning is that 
you know, whether it's in one bone or all your bones, let's say the medication is still working on all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they focus on the areas where the uptake is or something has changed. So, um, you know, in my first scan in uh, July of 2022, um, I, it showed things that things were shrinking. Um, so I had had at that point, I went to um, Princess Margaret Hospital and I had one round of radiation on my spine. Um, And something I didn't know is that, you know, they normally only radiate a spot three times um, because they, they can't just keep radiating it over and over and over again. So what they said is, you know, we'll kind of give it, you know, one, one kick at the beginning uh, with some radiation to your spine. And then, you know, we'll save the other ones because with um, metastatic breast cancer, a lot of the treatment um, is around pain and, Mm. you know, palliative care. And I think that's the other myth as well is, you know, you hear palliative care and you think, Oh, end of life palliative care, mm. but it's way more than that. And uh, I know that's a big thing that um, you know some of the organizations are trying to raise awareness about as well is that palliative care is is managing your symptoms throughout. So um, that's that's something that you know the pain management they'll use the radiation for. So we're mm. kind of saving those other ones for when we need them. Mm. Um, and I will be going for scans every three months. Um, at a minimum. So bone scan and a CT scan to see how things are going. So um, the initial scan in July, 2022, uh, you know, things were shrinking. We're like, okay, this is great. So we noticed that the, the Kiskali um, had left my liver inflamed and my liver enzymes were over 900 when they should be, you know, below 50. So um, this was where at the same time I was on a Fexer, um, which is uh, used for a lot of breast cancer patients um, to help their side effects of uh, night sweats and hot flashes that are caused by the medically induced menopause. Um, and it has the added bonus of also being a, um, uh, an antidepressant. So mm-hmm. at the time we wanted to make sure that, um, you know, because my liver enzymes were so high, we wanted to stop everything that was going through my liver. Mm-hmm. Um, and so unfortunately we, um, I had to stop the effects cold Turkey at first, um, which resulted in extremely, um, unfortunate side effects. Oh. And, um, then, you know, when, when talking to my psychiatrist and the oncologist, they decided that I would go back on the effects um, and do a rapid weaning. Um, so normally effects are, you would wean off it over months. Um, and instead of stopping it cold Turkey, we decided I would stop it over a two week period. Mm-hmm. So the side effects, you know, that, that time weren't as bad as stopping cold Turkey, but they were still not great. Um, so we had stopped everything. I wasn't on the Kiskali anymore. And, you know, my liver enzymes were still going up, which, which led us to believe that it was the Kiskali, uh, mm-hmm. that was causing it. Um, and so we knew at this point that we would have to find another medication, um, similar to Kiskali that I could try, um, because we needed my liver in a good state in order to be able to handle the medication. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you know, um, while I was having a bit of a break from the Kiskali, um, which I, the last one I took was in July, um, I began uh, steroids. Um, so the uh, prednisone steroid, because my liver needed that help to kind of get back to normal. And within, I think it was two days of being on the steroids, um, my liver enzymes had dropped by over 50%. So um, 
you know, we, we got my liver back into a better state and, uh, the side effects for anyone that's been on prednisone or, or a similar steroid. Um, for me, it's, it's really the, uh, moon face as they call it. So, you know, my cheeks look like I just, um, got my, my wisdom teeth out or Aww. like I'm a little chipmunk with a bunch of food stuffed in my cheeks. Um, and so, you know, um, an unfortunate side effect, but at the end of the day, not the end of the world. Um, and so, after, you know, we realized my liver was in a better place. I recently, um, in October of 2022, um, just started, um, Virginio. and Virginio is kind of like a cousin to Kiskali. So we were given the option of Virginio, and, and there was one other one, I think it was Ibrantz, um, that we could choose from. Um, and so we, we chose to go with, uh, Virginio. So I've been on that for, uh, about a month now. Um, just met with my oncologist, uh, last week and, um, you know, my liver is looking good. I go for blood work every two weeks for the gastroenterologist. Um, so she'd keep an eye on my, my blood and my liver there. And then I see the oncologist, um, who also takes a look at everything else. So what the oncologist noticed is that my, um, white blood cell count is quite low and it is a known side effect of these medications. The same thing did happen with me, um, with my first round of Kiskali and we lowered the dose. So now I'm at the point where we, um, I'll be going for blood work on Thursday of this week. And that's where the oncologist will uh, take a look and see if my white blood cells have, um, you know, gone back to an, a normal range. And if so, um, I'll continue on with my um, Virginio. And um, if not, I would start a lower dose of the uh, Virginio. Wow, Melissa. Um, what, what people are saying when they listen to the first two um, podcast chats we're having is that you are so educated about every step of um this experience and basically you are helping so many people by actually kind of bringing out the closet should I say the facts and not the myths and nobody really knows what you know, anyone is going through when they have this kind of diagnosis. But I know that it affects you emotionally. I also know that you are um, living life to the fullest like you did before COVID. Um, and, you know, you're, you're working, you're doing everything possible as a human being to do. But you're not doing this because you're in a rush to live life. You're doing this because you know that you have faith in, in the health professionals and you have faith yourself and you're doing everything possible to help yourself that you will continue to fight this terrible, terrible um, disease. That yeah. So un so unexpected. But from the family's point of view, your husband's and your son's, obviously your son's only two. So my wonderful grandchild, he doesn't know what's going on. But I do know that your husband is a great support. And this this is not something a lot of women or men receive. So we don't want to really tell the rest of your story till the next podcast because I want people to get all the facts, but not in a rush. But could we finish today with you sharing if somebody hasn't got the support of, of a significant other or a family member, where can they go for support, Melissa? Where can they get some help? I mean, what kind of help are you getting like outreach help? Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah. And I think the really good thing for me is, um, you know, the, um, the team at women's college hospital and the team at the Oakville cancer center, um, they give you, you know, a lot of, of resources. So I've spoken to a dietitian, I've spoken to a psychiatrist, I've spoken to social workers who, you know, are kind of like a counselor. I have, um, you know, I've, I've, I've just been given so many different opportunities. So I think for people who are going through this, I think it's, you know, take advantage of the resources that are offered to you by the oncologist and, um, you know, whoever else in the team. Um, I also know, you know, a lot of workplaces have um, uh, support for their team. Um, that's, you know, of no cost to you. So uh, through LifeWorks, um, I think is, is one of the big ones. Um, and that's, you know, when we were first uh, receiving this updated diagnosis in May, we didn't currently have a counselor or a therapist. And so trying to find one super quickly to go and talk to somebody when you're in a really low state was really difficult. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, the employee resource programs like LifeWorks really come into play and, um, and are helpful. And then I think it's just, you know, I have been very lucky between the support of, uh, my husband, our families, um, my TELUS team, you know, friends, everybody, um, has been gone above and beyond. And I think the biggest thing, you know, for those not going through it is sometimes it's difficult to know what to say to somebody going through it, but I think saying something is better than saying nothing at all. So even if, You just reach out and you say, I don't really know what to say. I don't really understand, but I just want you to know I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. Great. Like that's more than enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think also to people that want to support, it's also thinking about the caregivers. So, you know, um, their husbands, their families, like reaching out to them as well and, and checking if they're okay because they're going through it just as much as the person who's, you know, actually got the, mm-hmm. the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And that really goes for anything, not just cancer. That goes for health stuff. That goes for, you know, when somebody passes away, um, work, losing your job, losing relationships, all that type mm-hmm. of thing. So you are, yeah. you are right. Also, I believe I introduced you to a lovely lady in England. Yes, Laura. Yes. And you've become great friends. But what Laura does, you now um, join join her group of people virtually. So just very quickly, can you explain how that that has helped you emotionally and physically, really? Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, Laura. Um, so uh, I hope I do not butcher her last name, but Laura Ashurst, um, Living With Hope. Um, so she's on uh um, Instagram and everywhere else. Um, Laura hosts a, um, a meditation Monday through uh, her organization, Living with Hope. And so, um, you know, one of the things I did right away was start start that meditation and you know thinking mind body and soul and really um you know those those Mondays I look forward to them um oh. there's a great group of people and Laura um goes through a guided meditation and um you know she's a huge advocate for the um secondary breast cancer uh, metastatic breast cancer community um in England and you know she actually just won uh, an award from the the prime minister of England, which oh. is huge for everything that she's doing. So, you know, Laura has been living with um, stage four metastatic breast cancer for, I think about 15 years. So, wow. 
such an inspiration, um, you know, such a, a friend and, and somebody that I can reach out to and say, you know, how did you deal with this? What, what happened to you here? And uh, mm-hmm. she's just so open to, you know, sharing her story, which is great. Thank you so much for sharing that, Melissa. Well, I got a bit emotional earlier. You've done extremely well because it's your story and you're going through it. Nobody can live that for you. So I want to thank you for sharing all of this with our listeners. You're helping so many, many people. And even if you weren't my daughter, you know, even if I just read about you, I'd still be inspired for you. You know, I, I would still be inspired by you and, and feel proud of you for doing all that you're doing when you're going through such a lot. So thank you, Melissa. And I believe we'll be coming back soon with um, the fourth podcast with more of your story and um, again thanks for raising the awareness thank you for having me